For the benefit of anybody listening on tape, I am holding an icon in my hands. Who can tell me what this is an icon of? Some of you were with me when we saw this. No, nope, it's not early perpetual help. No, I know Karen knows what it is, wherever you are. It's the Black Madonna, Our Lady of Chestakova, uh, and she is, was one of St. Saint, Saint Pope John Paul II's favorite places to uh, worship. And this icon, this is, of course, is a, is a picture of it, was said to have been painted by St. Luke. And while there's no way to confirm that, the wood that it's painted on goes back to the first century. So there is a possibility that Luke painted this. It's black, not because it was painted dark, but because of the, the candles that burned under it for centuries and centuries, which is now not the case. But it has been left permanently dark. Around the face and the hands are clothes that change on the actual icon itself. And people go and they kneel. They, they walk and they kneel if you have the knees to be able to do this. And around the icon, praying to God. But I, I have another informal name for her. I, I have this image which I purchased there at the shrine in Poland. And uh, I call it just my own little nickname for her, Our Lady of the Scratches. You see her face is scratched. And you wonder, can't they fix that? Why is she scratched? And it's very, very obvious when you go there, the big scratches on the face. And it's very interesting because even during the communist time in Poland, with all that's happened to them in World War II, this shrine did not close. They never dared to close the shrine, although it was difficult to get there. Um, but in its history, it had been conquered and sacked several times that the the... the the religious that care for the shrine, at one time the place was completely vandalized and the people from the northern countries um, uh, took this with them and in their hatred for the Polish people they slashed the icon. Now when they got it back they tried to fix these slashes but they always kept coming back like a stain in the carpet that you can't get rid of and eventually we came to realize that Our Lady wanted the scratches to remain on her. And this is why I love this icon. I think when the people of Poland see this, it's the national icon of Poland, I think what they see is someone that suffered with them. That all that went on in that country, when they asked Mary for help, she wasn't sitting on a couch praying for them. She suffered with them and bears the scars of, of the people that she loves on her face. And I do believe this points to Jesus because when I look at this, I think there's somebody else that also loved me and bears the scars of their love, and that's Jesus on the cross. You see, she, she echoes Jesus' love. I mean, sometimes we think God doesn't love us because we're going through some terrible thing. And yet, when we talk to Jesus, he very gently points out that he's gone through something for you. And here are the wounds. And the wounds are even visible in the next life. Jesus has a glorified body. You and I will have one someday, please God. But some of the things that we have suffered or love of someone else will still be visible in some form in our glorified life. And so Mary in glory yet, she says, I have suffered with you. So I find this a very moving icon, particularly with this reading that we have today. One of my, I think of all the readings in the gospel, this really is my favorite. And it, Mary receives the angel Gabriel. He comes from 
the world of the invisible suddenly becomes visible. We have angels in the room right now. We cannot see them because we are in the midst of a test. And we're not allowed to see what's coming or we would lose our freedom of choice. We have to be free to choose or to not choose. But Mary is given a vision of the angel Gabriel. And when he appears, the whole world changes. Mary now has a choice to make. And the angel comes to her, and she's very troubled by it. I don't know what you would do if an angel appeared to you. I would probably, well, after I revived, I'd probably get over it. But an angel comes, there's going to be a big request, and it's not going to be easy. But it's so interesting. I I mentioned it before. When the angel talks to Mary about what she's going to be saying yes to, look at the language of what Gabriel says to her. You're going to bear this son who will be called Jesus, son of the Most High God. He's going to get the throne of David. At that time, there was nobody on the throne that was actually of the line of David. Herod was was an imposter. He's going to rule over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom's not going to end. The child to be born will be holy and the Son of God. Listen to all these wonderful things. There is no mention of the suffering that she's going to go through. She must say yes without knowing the future. She has to say yes without God giving her the slightest indication, except she knows already in her heart that this is going to be trouble. And the reason I find that fascinating is precisely because when you and I make our choices in life, we too, the biggest choices are made without knowing the future. One thinks of marriage or the priesthood. They're both flip sides of the same kind of sacrifice. We come into the church and we make vows for richer and for poorer, for sickness and health, for uh, better or for worse, until death to us part. But we don't know what the future is going to hold. We know who we're marrying. We don't know what's going to happen. And when you become a priest, it's the same thing. Deacon David, somebody asked me where he is. He's in Utah for the holidays. But when he's ordained, he'll put his hands like this, and the bishop will put his hands around his, and he'll say, do you promise obedience to me and my successors? That was Bishop Steiner is what I said that to, and we've had three bishops since him. And I did not know who was going to come. You give God a blank check, and this is what Mary is doing. And the results of our choices, we choose to have a family, you choose to have children, something's going to happen, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have your, how many of you here feel like you've had your face slashed by life? Yeah. Last night we had a couple of altar servers, they were eight years old, they both put their hands up right away. And I said, you know, it's funny, but that's really where it starts, isn't it? Don't most of us have some wound from grade school that we still remember? It starts right there, to have had a friend and been betrayed or perhaps to have betrayed somebody. But that's like Jesus, isn't it? So the Holy Family invites us into the real world. The real world is that the angels and all of that exists. We do have a beautiful and glorious future. It's also a world in which we are extremely vulnerable. But they invite us to be with them. We are all the Holy Family going through all the stages of having said yes to God. We don't know the future. We've given it to God. We know the the end result is going to be wonderful. But we have to go through something with Jesus and with Mary and with the Holy Family and with our family, and they will be with us, not, not bystanders praying for us, but actually suffering with us as we go through our lives with them. Remember, this, we're still in Advent for another four or five days, 
The word for Advent is Emmanuel, God with us. God continues to be with us even when we can't see him.